I feel like every lesson I teach, every concert I go to, every person I talk to enriches me as a human being, having been on the planet for X amount of years. And that's who I bring to the stage or to the moment, whether I'm teaching or playing my bass. Welcome to episode 97 of the Bass Shed Podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. Stop by www.lemurmusic.com for everything you need for the double bass. Lemur Music is having a store-wide sale for the holiday season with 15% off the store's entire inventory. Stop by the website, check out their collections of sheet music, bass accessories, etc. Use the promo code EARLYBIRD, all one word, EARLYBIRD, to get 15% off everything you need for the double bass. The sale runs until November 25th. Lemurmusic.com on the episode is double bassist, educator, and author, Mr. Barry Green. Barry Green is an active bass soloist, recording artist, author, and teacher. He has been directing bass camps and schools for over 44 years and is founder and director of the Ohio State Bass Camp. Green has studied with legendary bassist Francois Werboth. Barry's most recent project includes a unique exercise program called Stringer Size. Barry Green served as the principal bassist of the Cincinnati Symphony for 28 years, the principal bassist of the California Symphony and Sun Valley, Idaho Summer Symphony. As former executive director of the International Society of Bassists, he taught at the University of California, Santa Cruz for 22 years before moving back to Cincinnati in spring of 2018. Green joined the Ohio State Music School faculty in autumn of 2018. The following year, Green was named International Touring Artist to tour all the state capitals of Australia, sponsored by the Australian String Teachers Association. In summer 2021, Green was awarded the Special Merit Honor from the International Society of Bassists. In autumn 2021, Barry organized the Bass Club Cincinnati, sponsoring several clinics for bassists of all levels, including an international public concert series. Green is currently teaching bass and his inspirational courses on mind, body, and spirit at the Ohio State University School of Music. Barry Green has written two bass method books. The popular Bass Method is three volumes in collaboration with Bay Area jazz bassist Jeff Neighbor and Advanced Techniques of Double Bass Playing. Green is author of three books dealing with the philosophy of music, the mind, body, and spirit, the inner game of music, Mastery of Music, 10 Pathways to True Artistry, and Bringing Music to Life. For information on Green's personal appearances, publications, and many workshops, please stop by his website, www.theinnergameofmusic.com. I will have links to Barry's website at thebayshed.com backslash podcast backslash Barry Green. All right, so I initially got hip to Barry because of his book, The Inner Game of Music, back when I was in college and, and probably a little after. Uh, I was reading a lot of books about music and psychology, uh, different publications that were speaking to the internal aspect of, of practicing and, and performance and, and just overall overall musicianship. The Inner Game of Music is a fantastic resource and I highly recommend. It was an honor to connect with Barry. And here it is. Here's my talk with the man himself, double bassist, educator, and author, Mr. Barry Green. Hello, Barry. There you are. We're here. Hey, we're doing it. How you doing? Yes, I'm good. Cool. Uh, so you're wearing your Los Angeles Memorial hat. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I gotta, you know, I gotta represent. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not. I'm not even a baseball fan. I'm not a baseball fan. Really? No, I. Uh, so you just like the color and the initials. I like the color and I like the hats. Like I like the company that makes the hat. Like the, I like that. I just, you know, the cut of the hat and how the hat fits and all that. I, I went to a Dodger game last year. And so I had to wear a Dodger hat to the game. So that's why I got it. And then since then, it's just like, I like the hat, but I'm a, I'm a football fan. 
Well, that's another thing where we're talking Cincinnati and Los Angeles. So what can I say? <laughs> and I'm actually raised in the San Fernando Valley. So, uh, yeah, you have a lot of ties here, which I, I learned through kind of preparing for this. Uh, I was unaware of that initially. Where yeah. where in the valley? Well, I started in Sherman Oaks and Van Nuys, okay. and then we moved to Tarzana, went to Taft High School, graduated from Taft. I actually did a semester at Reseda, but we opened Taft High School when it was being built at that time. Uh, and and uh, so I finished and graduated from Taft. Okay. A cool thing. It was the most modern all glass and aluminum high school in the country at the time. And uh, I think it was Khrushchev. Uh, visited America that time and went to the school just to see what was going on with the construction of an American school. Oh, cool. That was an interesting uh, uh, dialogue. And I am still in touch with the music program. I'm considered a, a celebrity alumnus. Um, I went back there and we, uh, we put a plaque on the wall of our uh, marching band. I used to be the drum major of the marching band and, uh, uh, so, and then our first, uh, music director who recently passed away, uh, we had got an honorary plaque to put up on their wall. And I think they're in a new music building as well. So it's kind of cool. Um, and then it was also nice to notice that the football field was, was, um, named after our football coach and in honor of our first principal, and they misspelled her name, and it's, oh, been, no. it's been misspelled for uh, for fifty some odd years or forty some odd years. Uh, oh no, they never corrected it, huh? No, no, it's still there. <laughs> and uh, and also, that seems like a a pretty big oversight. <laughs> it is, yeah, but it it is what it is. Yeah. So so where is Taft? Because I mean, you you know. Los Angeles and there's all these different pockets of the city. And, uh, you know, I, so I don't get up to Reseda often, you know, I, I used to live in North Hollywood, so I know the Valley, mm -hmm. uh, pretty well, but only to certain points, you know, like Van Nuys, North Hollywood, Sherman Oaks, all that was cool, but I never that, really got into Reseda or much the, up there. That was, that was the end of the Valley. That was the, uh, the woods. Tarzana is, was an estate of Tarzan. Um, Weissmiller, Johnny Weissmiller, who uh, uh, who sold it more to the city. Wow! And that was and that was the end of the valley. Now yeah. it's it's right in the middle of the valley because yeah, expanded yeah. way beyond that. And so when we moved out there, we moved out almost to the wilderness, and uh, and we were the end of the population. You go over the hill, and you're into I think Agora and a whole another whole area beyond that yeah you get into thousand oaks and kind of all that and then going north there's all kinds of uh, yeah. selmar or whatever right yeah uh so where are you at right now so i'm in cincinnati yeah i figured i figured <laughs> just wanted to check uh how long you been out there well you know i started when i was actually uh i went to indiana university for college mm -hmm. uh actually started at san jose state from okay. from uh, uh, from Taft High School to kind of stay out of the Vietnam uh, draft situation, and uh, and then transferred to Indiana for the School of Music. One year in Nashville, Tennessee, as the principal base there, and then I was really lucky to uh, get the job when I was 21 years old here in Cincinnati with the Cincinnati Symphony as the principal base. Okay. Prior to that, I had auditioned for actually principal bass of the Boston Symphony. There were four finalists in that uh, audition. I was the youngest. Um, they ended up taking a principal from within the section, mm -hmm. and they offered all four of us the, the section position. Uh, but in the interim time, by the time they made that decision, all four of us had gotten major orchestra principal jobs in Cleveland, in Pittsburgh, in Detroit. And then I got <laughs> and so we were all uh, 
uh, you know, uh, blessed to move on in that area. Sure. And, uh, unfortunately, they've all passed these great bass players. Uh, it was uh, Sam Hollingsworth, um, uh, Dave Perlman, and um, Robert Gladstone in those orchestras. Um, uh, but I was the kid, so I'm okay. still around. Yeah. <laughs> At 21 is seems like a young age to land a principal position. Uh, it was. I was supposedly the youngest principal of any position in, in a major orchestra at that time and was there for 28 years. So yeah. the, 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 the history is 28 years in Cincinnati. And then we moved back to California, my roots to the Bay Area uh, for literally another 23 years, 17 years in the Bay Area and another seven years in San Diego. And now at the young age of 104, I returned back to uh, uh, Cincinnati and we've been here for the last five years. Okay. <laughs> and we're not going back in, going back anymore, but they've both been home, California yeah. boy in the Midwest and going back home and then coming back here. My wife's family's here and that's, that's what brings us back. Do you still, is there any family out here on the West Coast or is everybody back in Cincinnati? I have cousins out there. Okay. Um, we had, my parents uh, passed away when we moved from the Bay Area back to L, to the LA area and we had cousins there. Okay. And my wife's sister uh, uh, also lived in San Diego with family. So we did, we have wonderful family back in Southern California and that was really one of the reasons for that move was uh, was to be reunited more with family in sure. Southern California. Sure, and it was wonderful. It was just great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this is a treat to be able to talk to you. I I read the Inner Game of Music back. I think I don't know my early twenties or something. I was I was reading through a lot of those books and I was researching a lot of those books. What what was it that led you into writing the inner game of music and doing the workshops and things that you would do in kind of similar fashion, talking about music and, and the body and the mind and movement and, and releasing the inner creativity. Like do you have a lot of work in that field? What was the impetus for starting that work? Well, the impetus was essentially being inspired with how relevant the inner game concepts are for musicians whether you're a performer, whether you have issues with anxiety or concentration or not, as far as I was concerned, that was not a big issue with me, but the potential to improve through my own consciousness, my own playing, and to be more effective as a teacher mm -hmm. uh, and as a communicator, uh, that's what inspired me. I had to, I mean, I'm a uh, I'm a very good learner. Tim Galway, who wrote The Inner Game of Tennis, he says he's never met anybody who was as sincerely interested in learning as opposed to achieving uh, the the fame or the glory or whatever it might be to, sure. to collaborate. And uh, so I, whenever I see anything that can make me a better musician, a better teacher, uh, I'm interested, um, or instrument for that matter. Uh, I keep acquiring things when I see something can, can make a difference. Uh, what got me once I got into the inner game, I had in order to do that with Timothy Galway, he said, he's not interested in the inner game of bass. Uh, he's right. in interested in the game of music, which meant I had to now go out and teach piano lessons, work with choruses and bands and combos, and see how his um, concentration principles apply generically to, to the arts or to all musicians. And so that was a real shift for me and stretch uh, to take off the bass hat and just become a musician uh, exploring the curiosity of, of concentration. Um, but I did it. and that led me one step to the other. So now I'm networking with great musicians and composers and teachers in all different disciplines. And I see uh, what they do that helps me not only as a bass player, but inspires me as a musician. And I continue to follow those paths. And then eventually after about 20 years, after I started with the inner game, I wrote two additional books on the 
human spirit and on the body, which mm -hmm. kind of comprises that trilogy of mind, body, and spirit, meaning that it all focuses on the artist rather than the technique and the instrument that we could be playing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that's what I loved about it. And that's what was so appealing to me about it is it was, it was dealing with kind of the, the nature of the artist and how to nurture that more than just a build a craft, you know, it, it had to do more with investing into the inner artist because the craft I mean, there's different perspectives, I guess, but I feel like the craft is just practicing, <laughs> you know, like it's, but once you can figure out uh, an efficient way to practice, then that's going to just accelerate the building of the craft. Uh, completely. I, that you nailed it. You could teach the inner game course right now. You're, you're, just, <laughs> you're just been certified. Well, well, I, I had a good handbook that you wrote. <laughs> that's that's clearly the message. Uh, you know, actors, uh, uh, anybody, uh, dancers, anybody that's engaged in expressing a discipline through their body by using their body and communicating something, they're communicating a message from a person from themselves to to someone else, which ultimately in the arts is an audience. Mm -hmm. And so we're communicators and yeah. we all share that same issue and the same problems and obstacles uh, that go towards expressing ourselves as human beings. And that's something that uh, uh, we have to keep primary in our focus that that's what we're doing is that we're communicating something uh, sure. to somebody else. And it just so happens we're using our hands or our fingers or an instrument, whether it's a keyboard, a voice, our bodies, uh, we're all attempting to do the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how has teaching these principles to other musicians shaped your bass playing or shaped your approach for yourself like what have you learned from from teaching other instrumentalists or or artists in other aesthetics well everything i feel like every lesson i teach every concert i go to every person i talk to enriches me as a human being having been on the planet for x amount of years and that's who i bring to the stage or to the moment whether i'm teaching or playing my bass yeah. And so uh, there's no end to it. Right. Every exposure uh, enriches us as a human being, and we're the ones making the communications. So I never like to look back. I never try to retrace what I've done because I'm always moving on. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've never even read the books I've written. <laughs> it's true. Um, I mean, I, I understand that. Like, I haven't gone back and played or listened to albums that I've played bass on. Um, but, you know, in my mind, like, I've already done it. So, like, whatever yeah. they did with it and whatever experience they created for the listener is a final product. That's cool. I have my experience from it. And and then we move on. Yeah, exactly. Move on. I know. Why do people, great cellists, record the box suite six, seven, eight times in a lifetime? Yeah. <laughs> every, every time... Um, they get to a different place in their life. They say, well, I have this the way I feel about it now. And so there's, that's the beauty of what we call non-judgmental awareness. There's, there's no judgment. What you've done, you might think is good, but what it really is, it's the best of what you have at that given moment. Sure. Okay. And so six months from now or two months from now, or the next time you go at it, uh, it's going to continue to evolve. Yeah. And so why we have to put judgments and labels that this is better and this is good, because we know uh, at some point this is going to sound terrible to you because you are in a whole different place. Right. And that's why I don't go back, you know, yeah. the recording or even writing something. I'm very consumed when I'm doing it totally. Uh, every word, every note, every every bit of it. But then once it's complete, it's okay, what's next? And that's what I'm most interested in developing. So, I mean, I honestly can say, you know, I mean, there's favorite 
interviews that I've had and favorite nuggets that I've learned from colleagues that I've networked with that I've, I love to quote um, and I live by, but it's an ongoing thing. And sure. um, one of my favorite ones is uh, from uh, Libby Larson, this great composer of, uh, of a lot of choral music, but instrumental music as well. And this was from the Mastery Music. And she told me, well, two things. The first one was about creativity, where she talks about this moment of go, where we receive impulses and ideas throughout the day, constantly, all the time. And what the difference is between an artist and a non-artist is that they will take those insights and they'll make some art out of it. Like... Dave Brubeck explained, you know, like when he's driving his car and he it's raining and he, he hears the rhythm of the windshield wipers on his car, he makes music, he gets the idea of a piece of music about it. Right. With, with Libby, uh, the whole idea is that when you have an insight, do you just ignore it, which most people do, or do you perhaps do something with it? And, and so those are the things like, uh, I don't have a big filter uh, as to when I get ideas. I'm always very easily distracted because I'm interested in, in yeah. what things are. And, um, and this allows me to go forward and take on new projects and different things over and over and over. Because people are always asking me, where do you get those ideas? How did you come up with this, that, or the other? Um, I have nothing to do with it. I mean, I'm just... Uh, I see something, I hear something, I like it, I do it, you know, I eat it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the other thing from her, uh, which was another thing, I mean, I mean, I've uh, literally talked to hundreds of musicians and 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 I still go back to Libby Larson, I love her, uh, is um, uh, to let your trash can be your best friend. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so when I'm writing or when I'm playing, uh, whatever you're doing, feel good every time you're dissatisfied with something and it's time to let it go and move on, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you feel relieved, you feel uh, enlightened uh, because the burden of something that's not working uh, for you, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Just uh, as, as I've learned to edit and cut things down, like I have a text that might be 200 words and I have to make it 50 words. Every time I cut something and I see it's still okay, I feel good about it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just that, I mean, I guess that that statement can apply on both a self-editing or have a self-editing application, but then also kind of like an emotional purging application too. Absolutely. So you're, you're kind of moving forward you know, and editing your work, like you just said, with this text or just getting things out and moving on. Yeah. And then I, I could easily see a relationship between that and the moment of go, because once you've emptied out, then you're kind of open with inside to take on new things and to pursue new ideas and follow these impulses. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of which, you have uh, actually let's start here on the topic of moving on. What are you working on right now? <laughs> How many, how many things are you working on right now? Let's start there. <laughs> Let's just start with the number. Well, I've been working on this really fun project, which is now just about finished. And so it's time to move on. And so I have an open slate. But the thing that I've been doing, because I've been teaching at Ohio State for the last five years, is um, uh, we've developed this wonderful bass ensemble with for my students, Buckeye Basses. And... Uh, I was, I get a lot of original music written for us and for the group. Mm -hmm. And the one thing, um, talk about learning from other people, some of my really uh, best friends, obviously bass players. I used to direct the, the bass organization, so I know so many of these people. And one of my favorite groups is called the Bad Boys. Uh, okay. And there's bass, bass ensemble um, uh, from dear colleagues that get together and they do really fun things. And so they've done some really creative things. And I thought of this piece for them. And then I decided, no, I want it for myself. Uh, <laughs> turns out my grandson 
loves, he likes being a DJ and he loves um, popular music and he's always looking for things that I would like. So he says, Grandpa, I got to play this thing for you. So he puts on the devil goes down to Georgia and comes oh, sure. down to Georgia. Charlie Daniels. Charlie Daniels thing. Yeah. And, I, and there, because it's got strings and it's a uh, thing. And I thought it was really, really cool. And then I'm thinking of the bad boys. This would be a great piece for the bad boys. And then I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. This is better, better for my, for me and for those. <laughs> and so I created, I, I had an arranger in, uh, in Brazil um, who does arrangements for me. And I had him transcribe it for essentially six or eight bases. Oh, wow. And then it was too complicated with, because it's written for, for fiddles. Uh, but I was able to rearrange it and make it really work for the bass. And I had my stepson in LA who does voiceovers. Um, uh, we sat down and rewrote the text um, for the bass in a more appropriate way. And my, my other son who plays percussion in the Air Force Band in, in Washington, D.C. Yeah. He did the drum track. So we have a voice track and a drum track. And then I got uh, animators from um, Pakistan and from Ukraine to put animations of the characters and the characters <laughs> are bass players. So the, the uh, devil is the bass player uh, is a bass from the university of Michigan. Okay. So it's now <laughs> devil comes down from Michigan and I'm at Ohio state as you yeah. know, so Johnny is based in Ohio state. And then he gets the golden uh, fiddle, which is a beautiful uh, golden girl, which is also a bass. Mm -hmm. And so all of this has been animated and we played with 10 basses. Uh, we were playing in devil masks. We destroy the bass <laughs> uh, at one point uh, when the devil plays. And then when Johnny gets the bass, he, uh, he, he wins the competition and we get the bass. And um, this has been quite a, a, a project. We did green screen technology onto the uh, football field at Ohio State. And in the very end, um, um, the bases, uh, the devils are all uh, expelled from the stadium. And then <laughs> the last one is like E.T. goes out on a bicycle with a base on her back and uh, mm -hmm. devil mask. And then it ends with me um, on the Scioto River under the Columbus skyline uh, in a uh, string base as a canoe. <laughs> uh, the devil mask and then i just disappear straight up into the clouds because you know the devil you know came came from michigan was gone back it's, yeah so that that's been a long project we did our premiere just last week at a oh, wow. halloween concert oh cool and, uh it was really such a thrill because all the studio classes the flutes the clarinets the tubas the wind players they all put on a halloween skit and costumes and we closed the show yeah. and we killed it. I mean, <laughs> this is so uh, we're, we're going into these projects because I, I feel like I do this a lot, too. Like you could have just done the devil went down to Georgia for like a bass quartet. But then it just the, the idea kept evolving and evolving, evolving. Now there's masks, there's canoes, there's green screen. There's, you know, like it just keeps evolving when working on a project. When do you when do you stop yourself so this thing doesn't continue to you know so then you're not trying to sell the rights to Spielberg or something right well the answer is never it just keeps <laughs> you just keep One going till so you run out of resources <laughs> so we played the first concert and then we get another concert and uh, uh, and then the athletic department picked this thing up and saw a little bit of a trailer and they wanted to send it to Fox and ESPN. <laughs> uh, for the football game weekend. And, and it turns out we're going to do the irony is there happens to be an exhibit of devil masks in this particular center uh, on the Ohio state campus that has been going on and will, will, will finish until at the end of the year. So now we're going to do a lunchtime concert in that space with the devil masks with our piece the week of the Michigan uh, Ohio State football game. Okay. So, uh, what started out as a Halloween concert 
is now a little mini pep rally. Uh, and <laughs> we've found another way to just, just up the ante a little bit. So it has to be adapted, correct? Because it was started out as like a multimedia kind of piece with green screen and that technology on film. So now you have to adapt it to like a stage show. Well, we play live with 10 bass players. Okay. And then there's video going. Oh, the- I see behind you. Okay, okay. So on video is the, is all of the animations and the voice track and the drums. Okay. The, what is left is the 10 bass players playing along with it. And nice. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and then also there's a, uh, or the irony is we're having our international bass convention at the University of Michigan. Yeah, this, I heard that. I, I heard about that. I met, uh, I met we Madeline. Just, yeah. We just might show up in enemy territory. <laughs> do it. Do it. I say do it. Yeah. Do, so, do the raid. <laughs> those, those, those are the things. And then we'll, then it's time for us to get out of town. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Quickly. <laughs> so, and, and then the answer is what's next is, I don't know. Yeah. I'm looking at that. I mean, uh, when you climb a mountain, it's got to go back down the mountain and then look at at what's up. And I've it seems like every five to seven years, I get into something different. Okay. And I've just finished five years at Ohio State. And, you know, I'm looking um, at my next step i'm in since i'm commuting up there i go two days a week stay overnight one night but um i'm looking at at some different different things could be musical could be non-musical um as far as the future is concerned we also started bass club cincinnati uh just this last year and so this is nice that i have some stuff that's more in our musical community here in cincinnati where i live uh so um, the um, the slate's a little bit on the open side. What's uh, what's kind of the mission? Although there is something that I've been doing. What do you got? And that I that I will at least do in the interim is that I've been do- doing since I did those three books. Um, I've done a lot of writing of articles, and in fact, all of them are on my website. As a matter of fact, that I mm-hmm. that I have published. One is unpublished, but it's still on the website. But I was thinking I could really have another complete book of articles of inspiration, period, yeah. you know, uh, or essays on inspiration. And they're all about and related and tied into the topic. And in that area uh, with COVID, I did do a lot of writing at that time. And, and so I've got about three or four more articles that are in the queue that I'd like to do. Um, okay. Um, like and, they're still in your mind. Have you put anything oh no, down yet? Yeah, they're in my mind. Yeah. Okay. And, and when I do an article, it's done before I start writing. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. You, you just already, yeah. Get it there. Although very often it engages interviews from other colleagues that are experts in the field that I'm looking mm-hmm. at. So actually, the last article that I did was was about transition, seven steps to your next step. Uh, of what are the personal qualities that help us since once again, it seems like everybody's changing jobs every five years or so, or even sooner. And now out of COVID, so many people left their jobs yeah. and now they're looking to where are they going to go next? What are they going to do going back into the workforce? Life isn't the same. The work isn't the same. Sure. How do we, what do we bring to that? That's going to allow us to do well uh, mm-hmm. in that re uh, reinsertion into that work workspace, and and so I did interviews with a lot of people um, moving from one place to the next. You know, mm-hmm. what's it like to go from playing in the orchestra to being an administrator? What's it like to being a musician to being a conductor? What's it like to being a, a section player to becoming a, a leader? Yeah. Uh, um, what carries us through? What do we have to do? And that was the last thing. Um, and actually the next article that I'm going to do, might as well mention it, uh, is, um, is I might call it the, the Tom Brady article. <laughs> the goat. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, not as the goat, but when is it time to hang it up? Eh? You know, 
And, and, you know, it's one thing is transition to a new field. That's different. I mean, that, that means we're going back to work, but when is the time that whatever you've been doing saying it's enough already, I've done this work. It's time to say goodbye to that completely. Uh, whether it's at the end of a career or it's at the end of a specific career, if you're an artist and you decide I'm done painting, if you're a musician, you say, I'm done, I'm done playing. I'm done teaching. I'm done playing the bass. I am now uh, going to take up woodworking. Right. You know? and, I mean, do you think, do you think that ties into Libby Larson's idea of let the trash can be your best friend? I mean, it's kind of a purging, you know, it kind of, true. it could be related to that. It's true, but it's a much more emotional thing. Sure. Uh, is that when we say it's not working anymore, put it that way, or I, I can't do this anymore. My body isn't the same. You sure. have to, at some point, so many people embark on a career saying, I know I only have six, seven, eight years to be a ballet dancer, or my football career is going to be over in three and a half years. That's what the <laughs> shelf life is. Yeah. So how do we manage um how do we know when it's really the right time to do that? And how do you deal with that? How do you reconcile? That's more an emotional issue. Not the other article is technical. How do we do it? This is how do we know when it's time and how are we going to get through that period in our life? What have, what have been your personal experiences with that? How have you known it's time to transition into something else and how what was the process you went through to grieve the former and accept the oncoming? Well, I haven't had to do the grieving so much as being inspired to make a move saying it's time. This is great. So I, I go from my personal experience has been going from something that I've loved to do, but now there's something I'd like even more to do. Okay. Yeah. So that hasn't been an emotional thing for me. Okay. When I get to the place where I love what I'm doing and I can't do it anymore, you know, I'm mm -hmm. too tired or my knees are broken or whatever, something's not working. I haven't had to do that. But at the age that I'm at, I'm getting closer to that point mm -hmm. uh, and or to leave something that I've been doing for such a long time uh, just because it's not there for me anymore. Yeah. So you know, I'm, I'm spoiled and blessed. I always say I've never worked a day in my life Yeah. Uh, from the beginning. Uh, it's been a joy ride going from one thing to the next, but it's not a joy ride. Tom, Tom Brady's not having fun right now. <laughs> <Well. laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, that's a different issue. I haven't really experienced that much, but I think I'm getting close to it. Mm-hmm. So what would that be? Performance for you? Um, I really don't know. Yeah. I mean, like if you had to you know, give well, up yes. something and move on, it would be playing, it would be performance. Yeah. That's that's an example. So you can't play anymore. Uh, you hurt yourself or you just don't sound like you used to sound. And uh, and so I have to say, OK, I'm done playing solo concerts. OK, mm -hmm. your friend Jeff Bradditch just went through that. He had a, a right. medical issue and he's but he's, he's doing great and he'll always do great as a teacher yeah. uh, and he can still contribute. Uh, same thing with teaching. I could get to the point where I say um, it's not doing for me what I did. I really love being a teacher, but I can do something else. I have to do something else because it's just, uh, uh, it's not there. There's a, there's a drummer uh, I used to play with a lot. And when he lived in New York, he was playing with, you know, the jazz A-listers and doing some touring and all kinds of things. And we were playing here in LA one time and I was talking to him about that. And he said a really interesting phrase, which was, I got what I wanted out of jazz. And then he kind of opened up into something else. And that was really fascinating to me to, instead of the music trying to get something from us necessarily, like he almost flipped the script on it. And like, yeah, I got what I wanted out of that. And that that helped him release and move on. It's like, cool, I I checked the boxes of what I wanted to do as as a jazz musician. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. I, I agree with that completely. You know, there's um, there's a point of fulfillment. Yeah. Where you could say it's OK, you know, yeah. even, even when you die, yeah. you say you've had a good life and you say it's time to let go. Just, yeah. just 
like, oh, some people fight it like crazy and other people um, bring it on, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, I think the fulfillment thing was once I heard him say that, I kind of then retroactively looked at, at my music career and be like, yeah, you know, these transitions that when I had a hard time with them in real time, because I thought that whatever, it was driven by something else. It's easy. If I look at it through that lens, then it's easier to kind of transition. Like, yeah, I, I did it. I got out. I got out of it. What I wanted to get out of it. Right. It's, but I, I think for me on that topic, the battle was keeping an old mindset the older I got. So the more I would mature and continue on in one specific aspect of my career, still keeping the mindset of when I started, mm -hmm. you know, and still trying to look for something that I was initially looking for. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it kind of kept me chasing this thing the whole time and never realizing that like, I've done it. Mm -hmm. it. It took me a while to learn to accept these, these things that I've done. And realize that, like, okay, I did it. Time to move on, and I can do something else, and you know, open That's myself up to other things. That's a very healthy attitude. Uh, <laughs> sometimes, Barry. Sometimes, <laughs> it also could be pretty scary because you just don't yeah. know what's going to happen. People thought I was absolutely crazy when I left the Cincinnati Symphony after 28 years, going to California. And I had an opportunity um, to lead a music program, and but my outside work had gotten so big that it was an opportunity to do whatever I wanted 100% of the time, rather than constantly asking for permission to get off a week to do this, to do that, to do that. So, yeah. So, this for me, it was an opportunity, but it, it was a blank check. I went out there and I sold a base to, to help the transition. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, one thing after the next just came up and uh, it all worked out really, really well. But I, I, I never feared it. Uh, other people looking at me doing that, how can you leave a corporate America, essentially? And, sure. and, the stability uh, and everything that, that yeah. as musicians, we spent so much time looking for. And then, the, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, we spent so much time and energy, at least I know I have, looking for stability mm -hmm. uh, that... That once you once you have it, you know, it, it's so precious, and you don't want to you don't want to do anything that would ruin that. Right. Absolutely. And there's another way of looking at it: is that like um, there's people that believe that it's predestined, and and in a sense, when you're following a trail, when we moved from San Francisco to to Southern California, uh, people say, "Well, why did you move? What happened here than the other?" And I I say. We didn't move with the life that we had that we were doing in San Francisco that was so wonderful, all of a sudden didn't exist for us there. And it existed for us down there in San Diego. Mm. And so we just followed, uh, we followed where we really needed to live, where our yeah. family was, where our stuff was. And we brought everything with us, our belongings. And so in our sense, yeah, we changed locations, but we didn't stop our path of just following that particular path, you know? Right. Uh, and so, um, and then there could also be a, a very um, vague path of, well, where's that path coming from? Well, sure. as musicians, we're taught that for me, and what I teach is we, we play music by listening, mm -hmm. not by following. Uh, but by listening to what's around us, listening, that's what inspires what we do, listening to the voice in our head that's singing along that we need to um, merge with the outer voice that, that we're playing. Mm -hmm. And so by looking at careers and, and steps, in a sense, it's if you wanted to believe that it's almost predetermined, what you're doing is you're waiting for where's the direction, where's the path that I need to go. And when you're on that path, you say, ah, this feels so natural. Well, uh, it was maybe intended there all along. You just kind of discovered right. it, you know, right. it's, it was there. Uh, it's not like we created it or made it ourselves. It's like we moved into that flow, you know, call it the flow or the. Yeah. There's a, there's a wonderful poem by the American poet John Burroughs 
Um, and the poem is just called Waiting. And uh, the poem talks about that, that what is kind of the more or less intended for you won't pass you by. Mm -hmm. You know, so whether someone does think of it as a predetermination or whatever kind of words that they would want to associate with that, 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 yeah, there's there's something there, you know, and I think people describe that different ways throughout their own lives and throughout their own whatever um but i i agree with you 100 percent that there's there's something you know there's something to all that tim galway talks a lot about making it happen versus letting it happen mm -hmm. when you make it happen you're blind to what's really what you see letting it happen allows you to see what's available and moving in that direction uh, there's very much of that with sports that goes sure. on, you know, uh, on how how people play, um, say, in football. You know, do you take what's given to you by the defense or do you do you have your plan no matter what's going on there? And uh, right. uh, the adaptability of it all is huge. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what? uh Hold on, what do I want to get back? I'm actually on your website right now taking a look at these articles. What, which one was the first? Are these in chronological order on your website? Uh, not necessarily. Um, uh, the first few are, are, the most, are the most recent. Okay. But I think there's one. I could get it up myself. But uh, the la there, at the very end, there might be one that was more recent. I think I saw that uh, before. But the seven steps... Uh, if if you see that, is that at the top? seven? Is that at the top? The the very top one is the art of the note. But I see seven right. pathways to accompany your journey. And That's while it. you were talking about that, how much is this kind of associated with uh, seven? Was it seven steps to highly effective people, or what's that book? You know, the I book, don't know. Seven don't characteristics know. of highly effective people. I don't know. I bet I'm sure it's similar, but I don't know the book. Okay. Um, I, I don't, I think we had to read the book. I don't know when I was in high school or something. Um, you know, we're probably all it. talking about the same <laughs> things and we use different words to describe the same things. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. But the use is seven, seven steps when knowing to make the next step or to be aware of how to read the green before you putt. Um, is that, what you're asking is that, yeah that's what i'm that's what i'm asking you about yours is yours is so these are the, the personal qualities that will allow you to negotiate this okay know? i mean like for for example the there's sometimes there's a lot of retraining that you need to do yeah. uh, and you have to acknowledge that sometimes it's personality and in the end i conclude with kindness <laughs> yeah uh and especially in today's world you know mm -hmm. There's actually a movement. Be kind is actually a, a legitimate movement going on in America. Okay. Uh, so, um, uh, and that that's an important one. But each one of them, uh, all these different artists, they really had wonderful uh, uh, stories to illuminate these these principles. Um, so they're more the personality things that we should embrace that's going to help us if you're taking those, you know, you're making those kinds of moves. Have you studied psychology? Not formally. Okay. I initially wanted to major in psychology, uh, um, uh, but I didn't. And then I went into music education and then I didn't really do well there at Indiana. I found out that um, I was most suited to be a performer to play the bass. Okay. Uh, and then it, I didn't get into the inner game until, uh, let's see, I got into the CSO at in 67 and the inner game didn't come until 1980. So, yeah. um, 70, so 13 years later is when I got interested into the, the inner game concept. Okay. And so, um, uh, it came later. It really, when was that? When was uh, Timothy Timothy Galloway's book 
the inner game of tennis. When was that written? When did that one come out? That was in the that was in the mid seventies. Okay, that was a lot earlier. Uh, yeah, been out for uh, ten years, eight eight ten years. There were a lot of there were PBS television programs on it. It was really awesome. Was that pretty uh, revolutionary at the time? Was that kind was. of cutting it edge was, thinking? Yeah, that was that was totally that way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, he did a second book. I mean, it's the best-selling sports book in history. Sold okay. over a million copies. I mean, uh, and uh, but not as a sports book because right. it was something that was a metaphor to everything in life, you know? Yeah, like the inner game of, not the inner game of war, but, but the art of war or something, how that's just kind of a book on right. thinking more than right. it is about the literary translation. He then he collaborated uh, and he did inner game skiing uh, with Bob Kriegel. Uh, and then he did the inner game of golf and then he did the inner game of business. Uh, I did music with him. Uh, so I'm actually the author, but it's a with a collaboration with Tim. Yeah. Uh, and he's since done the inner game of work. Uh, he still does these things, but the philosophy has been around so long that it's no longer new. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, it's for, and actually, and the philosophy is Eastern. It's Eastern philosophy sure. and meditation thousands of years old. He's just yeah. taking principles of concentration that are really, really simple and applying it in a more concrete way to today's world, uh, achieve world of achievement and trying to discriminate the pathways. Are you going down an achievement world of recognition and pressure and competition? Are you going down your own personal uh, pursuit of your own self-expression and your own development? And when you pursue that, you're going to perform at a higher level. You're going to compete and you're going to succeed. And that's the game we should be playing rather than um, uh, the other games, the outer games. Right. Right. And this, uh, I was speaking with a friend last night and we were kind of talking about this, that there's something to the more you set yourself on your own course. And just like, this is what I want to do with my career. You know, instead of trying to be everything for everybody as a freelancer, I just, I want to do this thing. And when you put your time and energy into that, you kind of get the return of that. There's any number of examples from either my life or his life. Uh, but you put your time and energy into one thing and then they, it, it just kind of opens up in a new way. It's like the, the world responds to that. Then I think all that's really fascinating. And it, it, you know, that's, and that's maybe not initially or like consciously playing the inner game, but in relation to what you just said, your own, when you stick to your own path and you're just like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this mm-hmm. instead of just trying to whatever, you know, play every gig for every time you get called as a freelancer. And then you, you're just kind of nobody, you know, you don't, you don't really exist. You're just showing up, you're doing their thing, paint by numbers. Okay, cool. Uh, the next night, same thing, but there's, it's, it's fascinating to see that happen, that people making these deliberate decisions to follow something that's personal to them. Right. And then how, how that responds to them mm-hmm. doing Absolutely. it. Uh, Galway was is huge on that in his writings as well. And he says, pursuing the experience rather than the objective, you know, this, how do you That's feel huge. about something that yeah. you're constantly, you're striving to be at your best with what you do. And you're also striving to be fulfilled and to be content uh, uh, and fed. Uh, mm-hmm. and when you do that, you will achieve your goal so much better. So he used to work, uh, with, uh, the AT&T telephone operators who were mm. fighting, uh, boredom and concentration and they didn't like work. And so he created all kinds of, um, exercises and games that they could play that would make their job fun. Right. You know? And when they were having, uh, fun, uh, pursuing, listening to the voices, listening to energy, listening to um, um, the interactions, their productivity improved dr- dramatically. And so that's, I, I feel real, um, that that's really critical. 
when I teach uh, and when I'm working in groups. Um, I am definitely watching my audience and my students uh, constantly to see, making sure that their experience is a positive experience and that they're happy with the decisions that we're making and that they make the decisions that I don't make them for them. Yeah. And so uh, I'm protecting their, their experience of learning. Mm -hmm. Circling back to uh, a lot of these ideas being from the Buddhist uh, dogma, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, is that something you practice personally? Do you, do you meditate? Do you follow those kind of teachings? Is this part of your personal life? Um, and, you know, the inner game with Tim Galway is based on his work following his guru. Mm -hmm. At the time was this very young 11-year-old uh, guru from India, Maharaji. And he dedicates his book to him. But he is really, really uh, passionate about keeping that inspirational connection separate from his work describing the inner game and the personal experience. I mean, there's just not even a hint other than a line at the very end of the book dedicating this, this to him. Mm -hmm. um, so I worked with Tim for four, five, six years, maybe four or five years before I even asked about his experience studying meditation. And it is based on studying meditation. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, Music is our meditation. That's yeah. that's the 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 actual answer to it, or whatever it is that you're doing, is a discipline of focusing your attention on one thing. And the sure. act of meditation is the pure skill of being able to stay focused on one thing, whether it's your breath or any feeling, and yeah. you just stay with it. Um, problem is with music is that the experience is constantly changing measure yeah. by measure. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. And, and there's all these things you have to be concerned about, you know, like, right. How's my posture? Where's whatever the, you know, if it's a classical thing, maybe the students, where's, where's my bow is, you know, right. where's, where's right. my left hand, all that stuff. And, and even the energy of the music is yeah. constantly changing. So, uh, but the discipline of being able to stay on the ride, stay with whatever it is that is, is on the agenda is the playwright, whatever the script is, uh, is a skill. And some people need help or can benefit from practicing the pure discipline of paying attention to one thing at a time. So sure. meditation is the, is the purest skill, but we don't go there. I mean, we, do, we don't. Yeah. And so after several years, I asked about that and I wanted to, uh, um, learn about the meditation that he had used and and meet the people that were involved in that. And actually, my wife was, was one of those people. <laughs> and, uh, okay. uh, so, um, uh, and so for a while, yes, we did do that. We're not actively involved uh, now, uh, but um, uh, so as a regular discipline, no, I'm not doing anything, but I have in the past. Okay. And um um, we try to live the meditation, uh, sure. and, um, I live, uh, I'd say my meditation is the Ohio river. Cause we finally are living on water. So nice. our property is right on the river. And, uh, I spend hours out there sitting on the porch, looking at the river and watching the thing, the barges or the boats or the people or just the water go by and sure. then the sunsets and the clouds and the uh, people that have been living here for 20 years say it never gets old because nature is constantly different. I mean, the sun rises and the flowers and the seasons and all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, you know, it's around, nature is around us. And yeah. so for many people, uh, their God of understanding is nature. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, it's a powerful thing. Like I live, walking distance from the pacific ocean and so when i go over there it's just to sit around water and a natural body of water it's it's really powerful it's just to kind of observe it you know and watch it and then to kind of circle back to all these ideas of adapting and fluidity and stuff if you just think about those and watch water you know, and how water is always adapting, but it's also this this striving force that is responsible for so much of humanity. I mean, 
What percent, I forgot what percentage of water we are as humans, yeah. like 70 something. The earth is 70 something. Like right. water dictates this whole story on so many levels mm-hmm. that it's all rooted in adaptation, but it also has this driving force to it. Absolutely. It, uh, water's a, a presence to be around. And, and I agree with you. I, it's when I have an experience like that, not by the ocean, like it's, it never gets lost on me. Like it's, it's a powerful thing to be around and very much clears your head. It gives perspective. And I also have every day I walk my dog. Uh, it's uh, 45, 50 minutes. It's uh, over. That's a long one and a half. Yeah. It's down the river and back okay. uh, down to this church, sit out on these uh, uh, benches and sit on the river for 10, 15 minutes and then come back. Uh, and it's all along um, a recreation green space, grass and trees in the water. And yeah. so that's, that keeps me grounded. Do you and notice a shift? Work, yeah, I was going to state, you know, it's two days on the road. Uh, and then when I come home, that's my retreat. <laughs> nice. Do you notice a difference in your practice time after doing the, the, the river walk versus like if you were to practice before the river walk? Um, like, does that put you in a different kind of head space and emotional space that uh, impacts your practice time differently? Not actually. Okay. Uh, my practicing is, is sporadic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't practice uh, r- regularly just to maintain my ability to play the instrument. Sure. Uh, I practice for when I'm having to play something and then I could be practicing a lot. And so then it's, it's performance nothing, preparation. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I know how to get into shape. Yeah. Uh, if I'm out of shape, uh, I have routines to do that. And frankly, they're very, very slow concentration type work. Um, yeah. My art of the note on mm-hmm. the website. It's all about that. It's not. Uh, and it's huge. I mean, it's a, a huge uh, dissertation. And most people, uh, it's quite different for them because I'm focusing on, once again, the experience of the note, not the creation of the note. Mm-hmm. So it's the middle and the end of the note and not just, just playing a note. And right, so right. Um, that, and Eddie Daniels, this great clarinet jazz player, you know who Eddie Daniels is? The, I know the name, yeah. Yeah, uh, his one of his his favorite uh, contributions to the master music in the chapter on discipline is how to play fast is learning how to play one note. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so many artists talk about how we slow things down to getting inside something. And that's their concentration. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul McCantless, uh, the great wind player, plays with played with organ, and uh, uh, he's, he's international for his jazz oboe playing and uh, everything. He lives up in um, uh, Bolinas on the ocean. Great, fantastic house with a two three story glass windows out to the oh. water on a cliff. That's amazing. And and uh, he plays about six or seven wind instruments. And I asked him, how does he, how does he stay in shape? How does he practice all those instruments? And he says, um, explain where he lived. And he said, he learned this lesson from his teacher, um, uh, Guillet. Uh, and he says, what I do, the hardest instrument for him to play is, is the oboe. And uh, so Rather than practicing on the cliff or in front of the windows overlooking the ocean, he goes down into his his dirt basement where there's no walls, there's nothing. And he says, and he just works on two notes. And his whole goal is just get the garbage out between the two notes. <laughs> and so he says he'll do that for 30, 40 minutes. Da, da. Yeah. Or trumpet players do this a lot. They drive you crazy when yeah, yeah. warming up before well, it, uh, practicing those slurs. Yeah. I mean, you know, trumpet players drive me crazy for a lot of reasons, but yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what he does. And he says, when that is perfect, he says, and I pack up my instruments and I go to the gig. Yeah. 
But that's, and that's just what Eddie Daniels says too. So many Edgar Meyer, great bass player. Sure. Uh, what they do um, to slow things down and how slow to get into a mindset so that everything's working. Because if you're going to play a string of incredible notes really fast, the question is how much time have you really spent on each one of those notes? Mm. If you're always playing them fast, you've never really mastered them. <laughs> right. Right. And so when you could, when you could feel it, when you could hear it, when you could learn all that, that texture, then you just shorten the time between those notes. But w the mastery is in just the perfection of um, yeah, making sure every note has an integrity that's equal. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Barry, thank you so much for your time, man. This has been absolutely fantastic. And I would love to have you back on. All right. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk uh, to you. All right. All right. Thanks, Barry. Take care. Bye-bye now. All right, all right, all right. That was my talk with Mr. Barry Green. Barry Green, if you are enjoying the Bass Shed podcast, please hit subscribe wherever you are listening to it. Leave a rating, leave a comment. That'd be cool. I appreciate it. Uh, man, I had a great time. I had a great time talking to Barry. Uh, he's involved in so much and has generated so much in addition to uh, his performances as a soloist and his work with the ISB, uh, just authoring and method book. Uh, the workshops, like, he's he's always going. That alone is inspiring. That alone is inspiring. Uh, if you have not yet read The Inner Game of Music, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I can't stand up. Great things about that book. You know, the ones I read during that time were, like, The Inner Game of Music, Effortless Mastery. Uh, there's one called Music in the Mind, I believe. There wasn't about performance as much as just psychology in general and how music relates to the mind and how we perceive music. Uh, that was a fascinating book. But the inner game of music was really, really cool. And it, it, it structured the information in a, in a really cool way that wasn't as, uh, as nebulous as some of the other books I read about the topic. So check that out, the inner game of music. Uh, that's about all I got for this one, folks. And I will catch you on the next one in a minute.